Need a quick place to pick up some of your favorite keto foods like Primal Kitchen Mayo, coconut milk, almond butter, MCT oil, and sea salt at the best prices possible? Then head on over to thrivemarket.com keto to fill your low-carb, high-fat needs all in one place. Thrive Market sells the very best ketogenic-friendly brands at wholesale prices, so you're not spending your whole paycheck to get what you really want. Because they work directly with their members and cut out the middlemen, they can pass on the very best savings to you. I love that they donate a complimentary membership to a low-income family, veteran, or teacher for each new member who joins the Thrive Market family. I've hand-selected 25 of my favorite low-carb, high-fat products that I think you're going to love, too. For you, my listeners, you'll get 25% off your first purchase, plus free shipping, plus a free 30-day trial of Thrive Market to see for yourself what an amazing way to shop keto this is. Don't forget, the prices are already 25 to 50% below retail, so you get these things as an added value. So go to thrivemarket.com keto to take advantage of this exclusive offer for fans of my podcast, Thrive Market. There are three superfoods no one should ever eat. Dr. Stephen Gundry, who is one of America's leading heart surgeons, reveals the foods that may be toxic to your body and might be draining your energy. Many of these foods are being marketed as superfoods for your health. These foods might be draining your energy, making you fatigued, causing you to gain weight, and lowering your metabolism. Luckily, Dr. Gundry has come out with a new solution to help with fatigue. Go to GetEnergy53.com to find out. That's getenergy 53 Coming up in episode 1269, Dr. Eric Westman. Connecting and educating and making the world a more informed and healthier place. You're listening to the Livin' La Vida Low Carb Show with Jimmy Moore. You've helped change so many lives and give us all the courage to take on the rest of the world. This is the longest running health podcast on the air today. You've done so much to spread the word about how diet matters. Over 1,000 episodes strong and counting. The amount of lives that you've changed at this point is incalculable. And now, here's our host and international best-selling author you're like the LL Cool J of podcasting Jimmy Moore Today's featured audio is from the 2016 Low Carb USA Conference that took place in San Diego, California. Go to lowcarbusa.org to get more information about this year's event coming up August 3rd through the 6th, 2017. My talk today actually is going to be a lot of geeky science. There are some questions. Show me the data. Show me, and I'll go through some of that. And then some of it will be very practical, as if you were in my clinic learning about low-carb, high-fat diets, Atkins diet, protein power, all these various um, iterations through the years. But it's my pleasure to be here. And uh, so this is me, the scientific basis and clinical experience of using low-carb, high-fat diets for diabetes is the title of my talk. I'm a director of the Duke Lifestyle Medicine Clinic. We opened that about 10 years ago after doing about 10 years of clinical research at Duke on low-carb, high-fat diets. I'm an associate professor of medicine in the Department of Medicine at Duke University. I'm the course director of one of the only electives that medical students can take in the U.S. to learn how to manage obesity. Just got off as president in the... um, 
trajectory at leadership as president of the Obesity Medicine Association. So I've learned how to be very diplomatic when I talk about other things than low-carb, high-fat diets, which is my passion. Um, there are a lot of ways to go about things, but why not just do it with real food is the bottom line. Um, I'm a fellow of the Obesity Society, which is the research organization in, in the U.S. and North America, well, the largest one in the worldwide uh, setting for showing re results of research uh, for obesity. I'm author of The New Atkins for a New You and several other books um, that you may have heard about. Um, it's my pleasure to show you these disclosures. Most people hide them, and after about 15 years of hitting my head against the establishment, I'm uh, very excited to say Heal Diabetes is here in the back trying to scale up low-carb. I'm excited to share my disclosure of Adapt Your Life, which has low-carb products and is just launching the Adapt Meal, which you can test in the back this week. So thank you to the Heal team. Thank you to Jimmy Moore to say, hey, Eric, you got to help me with these books. Jimmy did the heavy lifting, and I just made sure what he said was medically and scientifically sound. That's keto clarity and cholesterol clarity. Thank you, Jimmy. Um, and then Envoy, yeah. Envoy Technologies has a new ketone breath monitor, and the scientific officer and owner of that company who's here has also come to our clinic to do research, unfunded research. Well, they fund the research. Now that you're going to be in ketosis, what happens when you have a meal of carbs, have a couple of shots of vodka, things like that, things that people really want to know the answer to? We're starting to do those, uh, those studies, so... But let me switch to diabetes. Now, we've talked about obesity and cardiovascular disease and cholesterol so far. Um, diabetes is a serious disease. As one of my colleagues says, you don't want to go down that path. You, you'll get terrible finding, terrible uh, consequences. Now, how do you define it and, and what really makes sense in terms of nutrition and in the low-carb world? Why do we use low-carb, high-fat diets for diabetes? Well, if you look at the definition of diabetes, a single raised glucose reading with symptoms of diabetes gives you the, gives you the definition. Um, and then the long-term uh, risk and, and consequences. If you have a raised glucose value on two occasions, you have diabetes. If you have a random blood sugar of over 200 milligrams per deciliter or 11.1 millimole per liter, you have diabetes. And here is a, a way to look at defining diabetes in terms of glucose levels, in terms of fasting, two-hour glucose, in terms of hemoglobin A1C, which I'm sure you've heard about. It's about the glucose. It's, that's diabetes. It's the blood sugar. That's how you define it. That's how the long-term consequences occur. So, Jeff Gerber, I'm going to shade what you said. It's not about the insulin. It's about the sugar. Now, the reason I say that is it's the sugar that goes up that makes the insulin go up and then leads to the insulin resistance. So I'm going to go back one step and say, no, it's the carbs that you ingest that raise the insulin level, raise the blood sugar, raise the insulin. So I, in fact, we're both right. It's kind of like we're arguing about there's a gun on the floor and someone's dead, and who, who was it the gun that killed? Was it the bullet that killed? Was it the person with the gun? We're all saying the same thing, really. But I'm going to go back and talk about food, and raising the blood sugar, and that raises the insulin. And let's just think for a minute. Now, if I have a really obnoxious medical student or resident or visiting doctor, 
um, just had two from the UK uh, visiting doctors to my clinic, I'll say, you know, you're pretty, you know, what a hot shot, you know, you know, diabetes. If you poured out all of your blood, how much sugar would there be in that blood? Well, you know, so the American folks, I mean, they just kind of, well, can I, can I have a pen and paper? And, and then I remind them the 100 milligrams per deciliter, and then I have to tell them there's about five liters of blood in the average um, uh, adult. And so then we go through this calculation, and, and I know this goes back to middle school math. So many people forget about it because they're in medical school, not middle school. And you cross out all of these, uh, it's called factor labeling. And it turns out there's five grams of sugar in the entire bloodstream in any given moment. Now, you've seen pictures already of there's 20 grams, there are teaspoons of sugar and all these. But the, the amount of sugar in the blood is very, very low compared to the things that most people ingest. Now, if you wanted to do it in millimole for the international audience here, here's the calculation. Oh, it comes out to five grams. Because <laughs> we're just doing the units a little differently. But So a teaspoon of sugar is the entire amount of sugar in the bloodstream at any given moment. So what that means is to become someone with diabetes, you basically have looking at the definitions and now putting in teaspoons of sugar on the far two right columns, you basically have uh, 7.5 grams of sugar and you have diabetes. In other words, a chronic elevation of about a half teaspoon of sugar makes you an individual with diabetes in the entire bloodstream at any given moment. Now we can quibble, and I know, you know, Mike Eads has a blog, Post-Protein Power, and he has a little different number, and, and I'm sure Andreas Ienfeld has another dietdoctor.com blog about this, and, but we're all basically saying the same thing, whether it's a quarter teaspoon, half teaspoon, one teaspoon, it's not much. Now, I had a professor of endocrinology come up to me after I gave this talk on the side later and said, I never thought of it that way. I never thought of it that way. So that so far, you've heard talks about food and diabetes and all this. What it really comes down to is a quarter to a half teaspoon of sugar elevated in the blood. That's it. It's a very small amount. Um, so really, Jeff, it's the sugar, not the insulin. But, oh, right, because the sugar raises the insulin and... Is it the gun? Is it the bullet? Is it the, anyway? So we're all saying the same thing. If you go back in time, and Gary Taubes was very influential for my thinking with good calories, bad calories. If you haven't read it, it's a great, great read. Well, if you're really, really into data and science and all that, um, Nina Teicholz picked up on the history of the low-fat diet from when Gary stopped off. Uh, in 2004-ish, and that's another great book to read. I've learned a lot. But it was actually a, a patient of mine who heard that I was interested in history who brought a book to me that got me interested in reading about the history of the treatment of diabetes. So if you go back to Joslin to uh, about 100 years ago, everyone was using a low-carb, high-fat diet because that's all they had. So dietetic treatment is of utmost importance. The carbohydrates taken in the food are of no use to the body and must be removed by the kidneys because that's how they diagnosed it then. It was glucose in the urine. So Mary was put on a stringent diet consisting only of protein and fat. 
The beneficial effect was seen at once. She gained five or six pounds and was advised to eat all the cream, butter, and fatty foods possible. So this was probably an individual with type 1 diabetes. They didn't differentiate between the two. Um, Frederick Allen, who picked up, this, these are the U.S. physicians using low-carb, high-fat uh, about 100 years ago, uh, just reading uh, Allen employed fasting. So actually the best way to treat diabetes, if you need to treat it now, is don't feed the individual. Of course, that sounds so radical, you know, but um, it's actually the best way to do it. Um, and like Dr. Ian Felt said, it's so radical just to have people eating real food or, or uh, not eating for a while. First, the patient fasted until the urine sugar was no longer present. Then carbohydrates in the form of green vegetables were introduced, starting at 10 grams a day, and increased until the urine sugar, the glycosuria threshold, was reached. So they saw urine sugar, they stopped, said that's as much carbohydrate you can have. Then they added protein back and found that if you added protein to the carbohydrate, the urine sugar would come back. Whoa, that's keto clarity, the idea that you eat protein, some of the protein can be turned into to glucose. They knew this 100 years ago. And then, because fat had no effect on the blood sugar, well, back then the urine sugar, you would fill up the rest of the diet calorie-wise with fat. And then for some patients, a weekly fast day was recommended. And then what we've seen over the last few year, years is Jason Fung has come onto the scene teaching and using fasting, and we'll hear about that um, it gives a great lecture about that. So this is actually the picture of the book that was given to me by my patient who said, I knew you liked to history a little bit, and this was given to me during the first study I was doing on that crazy, radical diet. See, I, I had a couple patients actually have good results with changing their own diet. I didn't do anything. And I was skeptical. I thought it was going to be harmful. I learned about it, and I said, your cholesterol is going to go up. I'm sure of it. And one of my patients said, really? Why don't you check it? Why don't you check my blood glucose and my blood cholesterol, the labs right down the hall? <laughs> so you got to love the veteran uh, affair hospital with, and a young doctor. We learn a lot from our patients. So I did. I sent him for a cholesterol level and it was good. It was better than before. By any way, he looked at it, didn't even need subparticle analysis. And so I saw two in a row and I thought, you know, there might be something here. So uh, then uh, our research at Duke basically legitimized the low-carb diet, and that took about, you know, 15 years of doing that. And um, but So what I want to do is think now about what diabetes is and what the logical thing to do is in terms of treating diabetes. There are two very different kinds of diabetes and type 1 diabetes was miraculously cured by insulin. So in people who have no insulin, they can't store fats. You can see the girl who has no fat on her body on the left, and you institute insulin therapy, and suddenly the, the individual is able to store fat, gains weight, and the blood sugars are normalized. And so the discovery of insulin was miraculous, basically, for people with type 1 diabetes. This was called starvation in the midst of plenty because the body would be thin despite a large energy intake. So insulin therapy for insulin deficiency, which is type 1, allowed people to live and live almost normal lives. 
and even carb restriction, LCHF, can help in that regard. We'll hear uh, Dave Dykeman talk about that. And so on the left side of this column, uh, this table, left column, type 1 diabetes is insulin deficiency. You're unable to store fat. You have a thin body habitus because you have no fat store. You're starving due to the inability to use glucose and store fat. And the remedy is to give insulin or increase insulin, type 1. But on the right-hand side of this slide, type 2 diabetes, which often is accompanied with obesity, is actually, can you imagine the, the surprise of the first doctors who checked the insulin levels in people with type 2 diabetes? Because they expected the insulin to be low, like in type 1. But no, the insulin level's high. It's actually called hyperinsulinism. And there's this phenomenon called insulin resistance. You're able to store fat, but you're unable to use the fat for energy. There's a fat body habitus, adipose stores are big, and you're hungry due to the glucose swings and constant fat storing. It's not because you don't have any energy on your body. It's uh, you're hungry for other reasons. And the remedy is to reduce insulin. That for, so from the pathophysiology of type 2 diabetes, you would not give insulin, which is the short-term adjustment of the blood sugar. You would reduce the insulin. And LCHF, low-carb diets, low-carb ketogenic diets, all those same same name for the same thing, uh, will reduce the insulin and be therapeutic. It makes pathophysiologic sense. Now, if you go to 95% of the endocrinologists and internists, I'm an internist in the U.S. and around the world, they will say, here, go on this medication and eat carbohydrates. This makes no sense. So just, it's, they're doing something different. Now, I've learned to say, you know, that's one way to do it, but there's another way. Uh, and, but what's sad is most people aren't given a choice. And so we're trying to give people a choice. Wouldn't you love to find a nut that is low in carbs, high in fat, and perfect as a healthy ketogenic snack? Well, look no further than Peely Nuts. That's spelled P-I-L-I. Go to eatpeelynuts.com and use the coupon code LLVLC at checkout to get 10% off of your order of these one-of-a-kind keto nuts. Peely Nuts are higher in fat than any other nut out there with a whopping 23 grams of total fat, and they have the fewest carbohydrates at just one one gram per one ounce serving. Plus, these delicious nuts are loaded with a full array of vitamins and micronutrients, including vitamin E, magnesium, potassium, manganese, calcium, phosphorus, and more because of the mineral-rich volcanic soil that they're harvested from in the Philippines. If you've never tasted a peely nut, you'll be pleased to know that it's got a soft bite and a buttery flavor unlike any other nut you've ever put in your mouth. EatPeelyNuts.com is the original company to bring sprouted Peely Nuts to the United States and are also the first to offer them sprouted in coconut oil for added healthy saturated fats. I absolutely love Peely Nuts and I think you will too. Try them for yourself by visiting eatpeelynuts.com and don't forget to use my special coupon code LLVLC at checkout to get 10% off of your order. Give them a taste and you'll see there's no better nut than a Peely Nut. 
lovemytummy.com lovemytummy.com Why am I saying this? Living low carb is a choice you are making because you care about your health and you love your tummy. But sometimes even the best choices in the food we eat will still lead to times when you find yourself feeling bloated or having that heavy feeling after a meal and you just don't know what to do. Diet changes, probiotics, and even medications are helping some, but you can't find real relief. Well, let me introduce you to Atrantil developed by a board-certified gastroenterologist to naturally address issues such as bloating, SIBO, IBS, leaky gut, and improve and protect cellular digestive health. Atrantil is all-natural, over-the-counter, works within the bowel, is very well-tolerated, and has no known drug interactions. Published clinical trials have shown that better than four out of five people that suffer from digestive symptoms will find relief with Atrantil. Backed by a 100% money-back guarantee. So love yourself, love your health, and visit lovemytummy.com. Be sure to use the coupon code JIMMY for 15% off of your order. Even the name is proven to make you feel better. Atrantil. How have we got into this mess? Well, I hope uh, Gary Taubes' new book will get into the great detail. The short story that in one table... There were all these guidelines that, hmm, happened right around 1940s, right before World War II, and you heard how, how traumatic the World War II was for, uh, for science. Uh, Gary talked about how most of the knowledge that was in Europe in the medical and nutrition world was forgotten and suppressed, and we came up with a new idea here. Well, and the organizations in our country have sadly promoted uh, a, a lifestyle that requires medication. And some have argued, as you've heard today, that it's a, a, a conspiracy or just good business. And um, But there's another way to go about it. Um, when I first was looking at the science, I thought, well, how low can I go on the carbs? I don't want to hurt anybody. So to look at the most unbiased source of information about nutrition, the Institute of Medicine, and you hear, you read, the lower limit of dietary carbohydrate compatible with life apparently is zero, provided that adequate amounts of protein and fat are consumed. So you don't need any carbohydrates, actually. The minimal amount of carbohydrate is dependent on the brain and, and the blood cells in the blood. They need glucose, too, but the brain actually can shift to ketones. And it's only recently that some educational programs and schools are actually teaching that you can actually use ketones for brain function, even though we've known that some children with epilepsy have been fixed by cutting out carbohydrates and letting them burn ketones in their brain. In fact, when you look at it, we've been creating a certain type of epilepsy by making children eat carbohydrates. And you know, when you flip things upside down, you take away the carbohydrates and that disease is gone. Um, so after keto adaptation, after a few weeks, if you want to keto adapt for exercise, it might take a few months. Um, 80% of the brain energy, CNS, central nervous system energy, can be derived from ketones, leaving about 20 to 28 grams of glucose that your body has to make. And you have these fabulous organs called liver and kidneys that actually can make sugar internally from the proteins and fats that you eat. So... You really don't have to have carbohydrate in the food from now on, ever. Now, that's a big change from, now you can do that low-carb thing, but don't do it long, 
And even the books that were written said, don't do it more than two weeks. And then you add back, I said, you know, it's a, no, actually it's just fine down there um, without carbohydrate. Is there any science to back this up? I mean, that's a lot of history, right? Well, fortunately, the uh, low-carb craze of 2003 with research has come out, Gunther Bowden in the uh, uh, inpatient trial. So this is probably the best study if you want to know really what happens because they only could eat when they were in the hospital ward. The studies I do, people go home, they tell us what they eat. Well, so I kind of know what they want us to know that, of what they eat. Our biomeasures aren't very strong in our outpatient studies. But here, if you just look at what happens when you put someone on an ad lib, meaning they can eat as much as they want of low-carb foods, in, in black, on their normal diet, the blood sugar goes up. Here's that, eat foods that raise the blood sugar, and then insulin goes up to keep the blood sugar down. And so why eat those foods that raise the blood sugar in the first place? Good question. Um, and you can have a little bit, of, so there's a lot of confusion. Well, but protein raises the insulin too. Well, yeah, but not nearly as much. So um, uh, if you want to lower the insulin in the blood and the sugar blood or glucose in the blood, then don't eat the carbohydrate. You need protein. You need to have that to survive. So another study, just to show you that this wasn't just some random finding, meals, uh, people are adapted uh, to low-carb diets. On the left, there's no rise in blood sugar there's, because the meals have no, uh, no carbohydrate in them. The insulin rise on the right, you know, um, all well and good. But that's one meal. What happens over time? Well, this is a study in Australia. Now, people around the world are starting to take notice and study it. And this was a study by Manny Noakes. And on the upper left-hand side, as was mentioned, uh, Jeff Gerber mentioned that an oral glucose tolerance test when you're doing low-carb, it, it's not fair. I mean, you might even do worse, but why would you ever give 75 grams of glucose to someone anyway when you only have 5 grams of glucose in your blood? I mean, that's almost, that's, that's like uh, abuse. <laughs> so a lot of the normal, te normal traditional tests don't apply anymore. I mean, I don't care what happens to your blood after 75 grams at one time because I'm never, never going to tell you to have 75 grams at one time. So um, on the far right here on the upper panel, this is what happens to the blood sugar. And then the red line is when you're not having any carbs in the foods. And this is after 12 weeks now of, of adapted to a low-carb diet. And then the insulin level, again, on the bottom right, just doesn't go up if you are not eating carbohydrates. So if you want to lower blood sugar, which raises the insulin, you want to lower insulin, just don't eat foods that raise the blood sugar. It's really pretty that simple. Another, you know, so you notice the date on this, 2015. So there there's actually been some recent studies, which is fantastic. Mary uh, Gannon and Frank Nuttall, who have been uh, in Minneapolis and uh, Mary told me, you know, we, we just couldn't go down lower on the carbs, Eric, because what would we do? Give them more fat? So there's been a taboo against studying these types of diets. And this one is great because they just went head to head. What ha happens when you fast? What happens when you're carbohydrate free, CHO free? And what happens when you're eating a standard diet? And here you have the blood sugar response, which is pretty flat. So my take home point here is you can almost get all the benefit as compared to fasting by eating low-carb, high-fat. And so you can still eat the food. Um, 
and still have the same metabolic effects. After I had first studied obesity, I wanted to move on to diabetes, and what I, my method was to visit doctors who'd been doing this, maybe thinking they'd learned things over their careers. By the time I did this, uh, Mike and Mary Dan had retired, but I did find doctors who were still using it, Dr. Atkins, Dr. Bernstein, Dr. Vernon, and they were achieving normal blood sugars in their patients with no carbohydrate in the plan, but these were selected people. You know, they were actually following it. But it showed me that it could happen. Now, the mainstream diabetes uh, complication, control and complications trial was giving people 230 grams of carbohydrate and achieving, you know, on average, the hemoglobin A1C of 8.9. Uh, but some people will be following it well, others won't. Um, but at least the efficacy studies means that you could get normal blood sugars in people with a diagnosis of diabetes. So I thought, well, I'm going to continue this line of research. And our study is now among a bunch, and even more are coming out. Um, someone asked about studies going on. Sarah Hallberg is working with Jeff Volick and Steve Finney in a study in Indiana, which is a much uh, larger scale with obesity and diabetes using low-carb, high-fat, which is fantastic. But if you just look down the line of, of uh, before and after hemoglobin A1Cs, and usually there's some weight loss that goes along with it, which the purest researcher will say, that's not fair. You had weight loss, and it, didn't, it wasn't just the diet that affected the blood. I said, I don't care. I want more weight loss. If, so if, if you're trying to do a study where you're isocaloric, keeping the weight the same and all that, it's not very clinically practical practicable or, or practical. So it's okay for me if our, our group had a better reduction in A1C and more weight loss when they were down to 20 grams of carbs per day compared to about 100 grams. But now stepping back, uh, there are a couple meta-analyses, but they haven't incorporated the latest studies. And then you could look at the sample size and say, well, you know, those are nice proof-of-concept studies. You know, they're not large randomized trials. In fact, the nutrition world is, has very little research compared to drugs. Drug trials, we have, we have numerous drug trials with a lot of uh, statin drugs, all these other things. So that, that's true. However, we've had no uh, even inkling of adverse effect in these studies, and doctors have been using the low-carb, high-fat diet over the last 50 years, just on the side, and um, having met with them and uh, then learning that for most of human history there weren't carbohydrates, you know, what, what's the level of evidence you need to change your food? You know, um, uh, I think it's less than you need to prove that a drug is safe and effective. But that's the typical thing that we're going to compare it to. So that's okay. So 10 years ago I opened a clinical practice and... Um, uh, I'll show you a little bit about what I do. There are good carbs and bad carbs, and people say that. And um, um, in terms of junk foods, I don't know of any diet that wants you to have these bad carbs on the right. Um, so the good carbs are the low glycemic ones, or the vegetables. Um, if you look at the diet I use in terms of all of the other carbohydrate-containing diets, ours is the lowest and goes below what's called the ketogenic threshold. 
So that ketones means uh, in the blood or in urine means you're burning fat really well. So most of the time, what I'm really doing is making people become fat burners, and that's what we want. If you're trying to lose your body fat, you want to be a really good fat burner because you're trying to get rid of the, the body fat to use it up. That, that's how you get rid of it. So we typically go 20 to 50 grams. Well, I try to get people at 20 grams of carbs because then the cravings go away, the hunger is gone, uh, heartburn is gone, you have more energy. So there are actually some benefits from going from 50 to 20 grams, um, although the traditionally trained people will think that 50 grams is really low. When for me, actually, that's kind of high. And when you think of the blood sugar having 5 grams of carbs, if you have 50 grams over the course of the day, you're pouring in 50, or 10 times the sugar that you have in the bloodstream. And if you have diabetes, do you want to do that? I don't, diabetes is defined as an elevated blood sugar. I don't, I don't think so. I mean, you can do that if you want. <laughs> so what do you eat on a 20-gram diet? Is there um, anyone doing a low-carb diet here today? <laughs> is anyone still skeptical? It needs to, we have a, a stockade in the back. No, it's, I, I watch people go through the same skepticism that I had but for me, it was 18 years ago that I went through that. So I'm happy to handhold you. Uh, I had a slide set on the 10 myths of all of we. Each one is is dis, um, disproved, and then another one props up. You know, actually, I've learned what discrimination is because you discrimination you can't disprove because it's not based in fact. So, uh, so what do you eat on a less than 20 gram carb diet? Well, you get great foods. Um, you can eat beef, lamb. Veal, pork, ham, bacon, real bacon, not the microwavy bakey or, or, or fako or turkey bake. You know, you can, but you don't have to. Poultry, seafood, eggs. And I, I do this weird thing, like accommodate the idea that people might eat fast food, that they might have artificial sweeteners and a terrible sweet sugar addiction and might need something to get them off sugar. I do that kind of practical modification because of the area I'm in, that's what people do. So one of my patients uh, saw this and said, I got it. And it's basically been eating McDonald's and loses 10 to 20 pounds a month. He's just not eating carbs at McDonald's. Now you might say, well, that's not healthy. Well, actually, the guy's in a lot of better health than he was before. So is that the best and optimal way to do it? I don't know. I, I'm, I don't know. We just don't know. So the new science, Jeff Volek is one of the uh, great new um, newly funded and, and blessed researchers in low-carb diet. He moved to Ohio State. And if you're interested in doing research, talk to Jeff. He'll be here giving a talk. Um, and he's published a couple of provocative studies because showing that the more eggs you eat, their good cholesterol goes up. Wow. So actually, there is a benefit to having fat and cholesterol. And um, it's been there all along. It's just nobody has formally studied it because it was taboo to study it. So you have to have some salad greens, some vegetables, and um, you can estimate fists, your fist size for about a cup full. And so very practical ways to teach this and to keep people on track. Um, you could have eggs and bacon or sugar-free yogurt with a little bit of berries. So there's no forbidden food. It's just that if there are carbs in it, you can't have much of it. And then if you're a sugar addict and it might make you eat more carbs, then you want to stay away from that. Um, 
Uh, trigger foods are for most people in our area. Nuts are a trigger food, so don't have them at first. Because if you can't control the nuts, then I've really sabotaged you because you're going to be overeating the carbs. Um, you can have snacks um, like olives and cheese dip, but when the diet's really working well, you don't snack because you're burning your fat so well, there's no hunger that makes you want to snack. Uh, you could have steak with blue cheese, broccoli. I learned how to put butter on my steak from the Swedish contingent on the low-carb cruise. I had no idea. I thought you had to go to Ruth's Chris Steakhouse to have other people do it for me. And I learned, oh no, you can use butter, and it is delicious, I have to say. Um, and so the brilliance of this, and I learned this from doctors who'd use this for their careers, is that you give a list of foods and let people choose the foods they like. So you build in all of this food preference. That, so dietitians, may, you may have been trained to sit down and go through food preference and all that. Ah, that's too much work. I don't have time for that. Hand out a list of foods and say, stick to this list. Choose the ones that you like. That works pretty well uh, as an initial teaching. Um, so you teach that way. You have people go home. And you warn them that you know the first few days you might have fatigue. You, you might... Um, have uh, muscle aches, that you'll go through that, it's okay. You minimize the side effects like that by having some salt, some bouillon. What? Salt? You know, yeah, so you have to take time to go through that. If someone has high blood pressure or a history of heart failure, you don't want to use salt because those conditions are still salt-sensitive. Um, and uh, what happens? They, they come back. And if you have someone on insulin, here's what I do. And so this is a, a small multiple. I'm going to show a bunch of these. So on the far left column, at week zero, this is where you add up all of the insulin. It doesn't matter if it's a pump or if it's the long-acting or short-acting or the most expensive or the oldest ones. You add up a unit is a unit. Of course, there are now 500 unit per ml. It used to be only 100 unit per ml. And so that counts. You still have to add it all up. And I looked someone in the eye and said, are you going to do this after the class I give? Yes, I'll do it. Okay. Your blood sugars are almost, you know, in the normal range. We're going to have to cut your insulin in half on the first day. In half. Because otherwise, your blood sugar is going to go too low. In my area, I quiz people and say, what happens if your blood sugar is normal and you take insulin? Uh, well, uh, okay. I needed to get really good control of this individual. Most people are like, well, my blood sugar will go down even more. I'm not going to take blood insulin if my blood sugar is normal. Got it. Okay. So if your blood sugar goes down below 100 in U.S. digits, um, 6.1 in millimole per liter, don't take insulin. Bad idea. So I write that out and, um, and give my email, my phone number. People rarely call because it's pretty simple instructions. So insulin goes down in half on the first day. People come back. Look at their blood sugar. So this person's blood sugar ranged from 120 to 140. They weighed 415 pounds. What's that? 200 kilo. And they're off insulin by six weeks. Blood sugar is the minimum, maximum, 110 to 130. So that would be, uh, oh, from normal to one, half, one and a half times normal. The blood sugars are as good as before off insulin in six weeks. Very little. Oh, it's all because of the weight loss. No, very little weight loss here, five pounds. This person off 80 units of insulin in one week. You cut it in half on the first day, 
blood sugar is low, don't take insulin, people self-taper. Here, I'm now starting to show you how they take insulin, 40 units twice a day. Well, cut it in half, go 20, 20, or 40. I don't know the right answer. More research needs to be done. Some doctors say, you know, you have to take them off the, the long-acting because, the well, I haven't found that to be too, too important. Um, but um, So down 8 pounds, but off all insulin. Blood sugars are almost normal, not only better than before, but almost normal within 5, 6 weeks. This person was on insulin, actose, and metformin, which are medications for diabetes. Another person on insulin and two medicines for diabetes on 60 units a day, cut it in half on the first day, off in two weeks, self-tapering. I see people every week or two, depending on how much they understand diabetes, how well they can adjust their own insulin. And uh, I even now had someone who lost 80 pounds, came off all of her insulin, and then saw me you know, later, four, four months later, because... She just wanted to be sure everything was right, you know. So a lot of people can do this on their own, although in the, you know, worst-case scenario, someone doesn't really understand what you say, and you want to be sure that they understand what to do. Um, so this person's off insulin in two weeks, blood sugar's better than before. This person's on 15 units of short-acting three times a day, 60 units, add it all up, 100, cut it in half, watch the blood sugars, this person had blood sugar that's better than before off insulin in three weeks. That's not too bad. Remember, all we're doing is changing the foods. That's, that's all we're doing. And um, the other comment here, well, that person lost 17 pounds in the three weeks. Okay, I'll take it. No, I guess that's not funny to you because we get criticized that our approach has weight loss in it too. Well, okay. <laughs> I know it's kind of crazy. Oh, the other thing here is that you have fewer hypos. I think you'll hear about that in the type 1 treatment, uh, type 1 diabetes. So the more glucose you have going up and down, the more you're at risk for low blood sugar, and those can be life-threatening. So you really don't want to have any low blood sugars, hypos. Have you tried the Jigsaw Electrolyte Supreme yet? It replenishes minerals, B vitamins, and electrolytes that are lost daily through sweat, urination, occasional diarrhea, and exercise. A Live in La Vida Low Carb Show listener named Tricia writes, I listened to your podcast on the iPhone app and have enjoyed your sponsor, Jigsaw Health, where you talked about the electrolytes, lemon lime, for $10 off with coupon code LLVLC. My feet and legs cramp up often, even though LCHF two and a half years years and then keto half year after that for three years total eating well. I wondered if the electrolytes would help, so I used your coupon code. First night of drinking the mixture all day, no cramps, slept well, and every night since. Just reordered the three-pack this time, saving more money and using your code once again. Thank you. It really tastes good and works great. I use twice the amount of water they suggest, or it's too sweet for me, so I put a scoop in 16 ounces or half a scoop in 8 ounces instead of one in eight. So join Trisha, get Jigsaw Electrolyte Supreme, head on over to lowcarbelectrolytes.com and definitely use the coupon code LLVLC at checkout to save $10 off of your order. Again, it's called Jigsaw Electrolyte Supreme. 
Are you looking for healthy, low-carb snacks but are wary of all the bad choices out there? Then let me introduce you to Adapt. Low-carb, including the Adapt Keto line you're probably already familiar with, as well as an exciting new line called Adapt Protein. Adapt Nutrition was inspired by low-carb researcher and practitioner Dr. Eric Westman, who knows compliance is the biggest challenge his patients face. Having healthy and convenient on-the-go snack options available that are delicious, low-carb, nutrient-dense, and gluten-free is a must. They also take great care to make sure their products contain no added sugars, trans fats, soybean, or canola oils, and include a whopping 12 grams of healthy saturated fats. The new Adapt Protein Bar has a smooth, chewy texture, and they come in several mouth-watering flavors, including peanut butter, cinnamon swirl, chocolate brownie, and cookies and cream. Get your Adapt Keto and Adapt Protein Bars today at AdaptYourLife.com. And be sure to use the coupon code JIMMYLOVESADAPT at checkout to get 10% off your order. At Adapt Low Carb, their mantra is Adapt and Thrive. So start thriving today at AdaptYourLife.com. Hey guys, it's Jimmy Moore, and if you read my book, Keto Clarity, you know I told you about one breath ketone meter on the market today. It's called Ketonics, K-E-T-O-N-I-X dot C-O in America dot com around the world. They're still the one and only breath ketone device on the market, and they just got better. Introducing the brand new Ketonics USB 2017 model, and it provides lots of cool graphs that show up right there on your computer. It's $190 and for an extra $30, you can also get a battery pack. Now they still have the Ketonics 2015 available in both red and blue for $150 each, but all the bells and whistles on this brand new Ketonics USB 2017 model are worth the price of admission. So go check it out, you guys. Ketonics.co in America, Ketonics.com around the world. How high insulin really doesn't seem to matter. This person's on 180 units, was on insulin for 10 years. I'm sure had been told and and had incorporated into her life um, plan that she was going to have diabetes forever and on insulin forever and check blood sugars forever. Well, maybe not. I mean, the way they were doing it is one way to do it, but why not cut out the carbs off 180 units of insulin in a week? Blood sugars are better than before. And this person was on 36 units three times a day of regular, 65 units of long-acting. Add it up, cut it in half, somehow cut it in half. Um, and um, these are pretty impressive results. As If this were a drug, this would be a blockbuster drug. Blockbuster. And the other drugs that are just out for diabetes are not very safe. Uh, it just didn't make sense to me that you, you take a drug that l- makes your urine leak Glucose? I mean, we're seeing ketoacidosis. In fact, people come to me now because the ad on TV says you might get ketoacidosis from this pill. And then they come and blame me that it's the diet when or blame the diet for it. No. So this person had been on insulin for 25 years and is off in six weeks. 160 units of insulin. There's one patient who couldn't stop checking her blood glucose because she'd done it so long. It was like a friend. You know, she just needed to know, and, but it was always normal. So, you know, you have to deal with all those, those kinds of changes. And, um, but that, the people for whom I take their insulin away are the happiest patients that I have. I mean, you think you're happy with weight loss? Can you imagine if your diabetes is fixed? And, um, and then you have weight loss to boot.
Um, so 280 units of insulin, it's okay. Cut in half. So the insulin resistance is an interesting phenomenon. I mean, the insulin just doesn't work and work. Oh, wait, pathophysiology of type 2 diabetes is you don't give insulin. You take insulin away. So if, if you get people on the insulin road, then you're going to lock them into this. High carb and insulin, not a good idea. Our clinic record on 500 units a day. So, uh, you know, this is, this is industrial strength. No, actually the endos have, there's a, the mainstream fix here is you just put them on a stronger insulin. So they take less volume, but it's in essence the same amount. You know, so 100 units, 96 units three times a day, short acting 100 twice a day. Now, he, he's now, oh, about three months, four months into this. He's not off insulin yet, but he's a happy camper because he was in the, place where the cost of the drug wasn't covered, he was spending hundreds of dollars a month on the insulin. And with these newer insulins, some people are even spending more than that if their insurance isn't covering it. So he's really happy with the money he's saving. What about an insulin pump? Insulin pumps make it more difficult. The most potent hormone to block your fat store, to unload its fat, is insulin. So if you dribble in insulin all day long through a pump, it makes it a little more convenient to control for blood sugar for diabetes, but it makes it a little harder to lose the fat weight. But that's okay. Low-carb, high-fat, low-carb, ketogenic, however you want to call it. Well, this person was down uh, off a lot of the insulin, so that's uh, basal and bolus of insulin, and was taking you know, a quarter of the basal without any boluses after just changing the food. I did want to comment that there are two components to diabetes, and from my view, the food and the insulin resistance, which is from the belly fat. So if someone has an initial improvement in blood sugar from changing the food, they might not have total resolution of diabetes until they get rid of the, the cause of the insulin resistance, which is the belly fat. So if I have someone who needs to lose 200 pounds, this is going to take some time. I usually see a pound or two of weight loss per week, and so I need to get people comfortable with the food they can eat. And bacon is on our side to be able to keep people on track. And don't, don't fear the bacon. Um, so not everyone has total resolution of diabetes just by changing the food. Uh, you may need to fix the underlying uh, insulin resistance. So looking at A1C, hemoglobin A1C, which is just the three-month average of the blood glucoses, and this person over a period of 10 years, had an A1C over 7, which would have been thought to be normal or, or acceptable in traditional, traditional view. On a low-carb diet, the weight goes down now A1C almost to non-diabetic range. You'd call that normal, 5.6% off all, all medication. So this is actually the internists and obesity medicine doctors' dream. Because here's someone, not only with diabetes, but there's hypertension, there's heartburn, and they're on medication, blood pressure pills, insulin. On the American Diabetes Association diet, checking blood sugars four times a day, the weight and the blood uh, hemoglobin A1C, almost normal, I mean, acceptable, seven. What about getting them normal? We'll put them on a low-carb, high-fat diet. The A1C is now under six, off all medications, and has lost... 60 pounds. Huh, not too bad. 
but that's just a diet, and you know, diet doesn't really matter, does it? Well, I can use that to my advantage, because doctors, oh, he's just using the diet. I said, yeah, just get, let me change the diet, it's okay. Um, so this person, so I do have some effect locally, although people ask, oh, well, Duke, everyone must be doing it. No, Duke has actually about six different diet programs, and they're all different variations on the theme, low-calorie, low-fat, low-carb, surgery, which is surgically enforced, eating less. Um, it's no magic to the surgery, it's just you eat less. It's a dietary treatment, really. Um, one of my friends, Donna Hall, said, you know, gosh, maybe that Westman guy has something. He's an internist seeing a new patient with a hemoglobin A1C of 10.5, which puts them into the diabetes range. And you look at all the guidelines, they say, this person needs to be put on insulin. All the guidelines say that. Well, you know, where do guidelines are, you know, expert-driven? Why, why don't you just cut the carbs out and send them to Westman? So that's what he did. And the A1C is now normal, almost, you know, 5.5%. Uh, weights down maybe, you know, what, 30 pounds. He kept it off for uh, a couple of years, a year and a half now. Um, no medicines used. No medicines. Hmm. And now he doesn't have the obesity and insulin resistance that was actually the cause of the diabetes. Now, I wouldn't recommend that you do this on your own at home, without monitoring the blood sugar and doing all that. But this is in strict violation of the guidelines. It is. So, yeah, thank you. <laughs> no. One of my, one of my teachers who, uh, years ago, as a researcher, said, well, what's the guideline based on? Uh, well, I don't know. I just follow it. You know, well, well, really? So what's the guideline based on? Expert opinion, what I normally see. And, you know, most people won't change their diet. I never see it happen. So I say, well, you know, let me try. Let me help. Or, or let an individual try it. The big difference from 10 years ago is I don't get the pushback through other doctors to me personally. I don't get the pushback from, at least in my area, of other doctors with my patients. They're actually all pretty primed to say, yeah, it'd be all right to try that. And that's a big shift in the medical environment, uh, I think, nationally, which is great. Just let people try it instead of dissuading people not to do it. Um, uh, excellent. So last thing, and then I'm done. Um, Low-carb, high-fat diets and diabetes. Instructing people with diabetes to limit carbohydrate grams leads to improvements in blood glucose body weight, fasting lipid profiles, blood pressure, waist circumference. Medical supervision is recommended because over-medication is possible. So if someone's on medication, you want to make sure you're monitoring what the medication is for. There's an um, uh, effect that I see some of my patients' spouses and family members start to do this, and if they're on medication, they need to know that that needs to be adjusted. The widespread diabetes treatment of medications and a high-carb diet was never proven superior to the low-carb diet in clinical research. So if you look back 100 years, everyone's using low-carb, high-fat, then suddenly high-carb and medication... No study was ever done to show that the current prevailing use of high-carb diet and medication is better than low-carb, high-fat. Now, that's not to say that it is, but I just showed you proof of concept in people over and over and over, well, you know, the changing the diet was better than the traditional approach. 
Low-carb, high-fat diets may be the preferred treatment for type 2 diabetes because the underlying contribution of obesity and insulin is also improved. I hope you have a great conference. Thank you very much. Coming up next time on the Live La Vida Low-Carb Show, we'll have Dr. Johnny Bowden giving his talk from the 2016 Low-Carb USA event. Get show notes for today's episode at theliveinlowcarbshow.com. And if you like what you hear, leave us a review at iTunes. Thanks for listening to the Live in La Vida Low Carb Show. We'll see you next time.